Good morning, friends. Welcome to those joining us physically, those joining us for worship uh, digitally. Welcome back to um, Seminary Chapel. I uh, have just two announcements before we get started. Uh, the end is near <laughs> of, of the semester. Uh, we have but two uh, chapel services remaining uh, this semester. Uh, next week, uh, we'll hear from our friend uh, Chidi I wrote down how the last name, and now I cannot read my own handwriting. Um, Ihazu, like close. And uh, that next week, uh, we won't have chapel because uh, y'all will be busy with finals, and you will have enough on your plate. And then um, for our last chapel on the 19th, we'll have a service of healing prayer to uh, uh, bring the uh, the hard work and the bumps and bruises of this semester to a close. Um, anything else anyone has to share before we get started? And let us prepare ourselves with a deep breath in together. A breath out. And join me in a word of prayer. The words will appear on the walls around you. I will take the plain print and we'll read the bold together. God of all peoples, you call your children to assemble in peace and share in the feast you have prepared. From distant lands, gather us, O God. Across borders drawn to keep us apart, gather us, O God. Across chasms of differing ideologies, gather us, O God. Across the boundaries of language, race, and custom, gather us, O God. Through the mires of wealth, class, and privilege, gather us, O God. From the places we retreat when wounded or afraid, gather us, O God. Let us, your people, stand before you, calling nothing unclean which you have made and which you love. Amen. I invite you to stand in body or spirit, however you are feeling more comfortable this chilly morning. And our first hymn is here in this place, either page 10 in your hymnal or on the walls around you.
Grace to you and peace. I um, asked for and received permission to go a little rogue on the passages that uh, we're reading this morning, so I apologize if um, the uh, reading doesn't correspond with what's on the screen exactly. The first reading is from the prophet Isaiah, uh, chapter 25, verses 6 through 9, and I will be reading from the uh, Jewish Publication Society Gender Sensitive Edition. Listen for the word of God. God of hosts will make on this mount for all the peoples a banquet of rich viands, a banquet of choice wines, of rich viands seasoned with marrow of choice wines well refined. And on this mount will be destroyed the shroud that is drawn over the faces of all the peoples and the covering that is spread over all the nations. Death will be destroyed forever. My sovereign God will wipe the tears away from all faces and will put an end to the reproach of God's people over all the earth, for it is God who has spoken. In that day they shall say, This is our God. We trusted in the one who delivered us. This is God and whom we trusted. Let us rejoice and exult in God's deliverance. And the second reading is from the book of the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 10. I'll be reading verses 1 through 5, and then uh, picking up with the latter part of the story in verse 25, verses 25 through 43. In Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian cohort, as it was called. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed constantly to God. One afternoon at about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he clearly saw an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. He stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? He answered, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa, for a certain Simon, who is called Peter, is lodging with Simon a tanner. On Peter's arrival, Cornelius met him, and falling at his feet, worshipped him. But Peter made him get up, saying, Stand up, I am only a mortal. And as he talked with him, he went in and found that many had assembled. And he said to them, you yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. Now may I ask what you have sent, why you have sent for me? Cornelius replied, four days ago at this very hour at three o'clock, I was praying in my house when suddenly a man in dazzling clothes stood before me. He said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying in the home of Simon, a tanner by the sea. Therefore I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. So now all of us are here in the presence of God to listen to all that the Lord has commanded you to say. Then Peter began to speak to them. 
I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. For you know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Uh, Dan, about 15 minutes before I went on, said, uh, came in here and said, uh, uh, did you really mean these passages? And then when he pointed out the passage in Isaiah, I said, yeah, we can cut out that part about the Moabites being trodden in the dung heap. <laughs> it doesn't really fit my sermon, so forget that that was on the, on the passage. Stop at verse 9. It works a lot better that way. Um, everybody loves a bad guy. There, of course, are those bad guys who take the side of the little guy, those bad guys that are really good guys, your Robin Hoods, your Pancho Villas, for example. These are easy to love. But there are also those who we may not love personally, but they fit the role that we need them to play in our story, the clearly identifiable bad guy, Darth Sidious, the Wicked Witch of the West, Cruella DeVille, Voldemort, Hans Gruber. Life makes more sense when we know who is on the dark side and who is wielding the force for good. That, of course, is why we love John Wayne movies. And I say that we, assuming that you all love John Wayne movies. <laughs> it's not just for tort. No, I'm just kidding. Um, this is why we named an airport after him. Because in John Wayne movies, the enemies are clear. The enemies are them, them. It is cowboy versus Indian, us versus the savage, the forces of progress versus whatever other is lurking in the wilderness. In this imaginative construction, we the people are created and united while the threatening other on the margins is, of course, dehumanized fought against. Nations are built, structured, and, and powered by identifying the threatening other. Barbarians, savages, Jews, Muslims, people of color, immigrants, from communism to terrorism, America often, unreflectively, drinks these oft-racialized narratives in as a way to unite together against the bad guy 
to create a moral narrative with ourselves in the center, whoever the with, whoever the ourselves is. People don't like when these narratives and monuments are questioned, of course. People like their John Wayne movies. If Rome had John Wayne movies, Cornelius would be a good candidate for the lead. A commanding centurion at the forefront of bringing peace and justice and civilization to the Roman frontier. Rome told their John Wayne stories, of course. Did you know that in Rome's capital, there was a monument to Roman peace called the Ara Pacis Augusti? Now it's kind of covered in this protective uh, structure. Um, but set within this structure, right in Rome, was a relief of the goddess Roma atop a heap of weapons and armor from those that they had conquered. This, of course, communicates very clearly what peace is. Peace is brought uh, through superior force and the conquering of those forces of evil on the margins, on the borders. Communicating this. And then the Arch of Titus as well, which towers over the Via Sacra in Rome, contains a panel commemorating Rome's defeating of the Jews in the First World War. Um, it is not still colored like this anymore, but this is a kind of vibrant reconstruction of this paddle, panel on the um, Arch of Titus. And on it, you can see um, them celebrating leading Jewish captives away and sacking the temple. You see the menorah taken from the temple. This is something that um, they reveled in. Rome loved to humiliate their enemies as a way of maintaining peace. I think John Wayne would have loved Rome. Sorry for those of you that really do love John Wayne. This took a, a negative turn for you. Yet, for all the pomp and circumstance and self-importance of Roman victory pageantry, different stories than this in the first century are told on the edges. To most first century Judeans, centurions were not heroes. In fact, centurions were well known for their corruption, for their abuse of power. And so, as is common in Luke's storytelling, who wrote Acts, when his audience hears, and in Caesarea, where the Roman occupying force is headquartered, there was a centurion, the last thing that they expected was for him to be described as devoted to prayer and handing over his wealth in alms. Stock characterizations of those who are righteous and just, this is not the, this is not the portrayal they expected. In fact, the text describes, you see this memorial, that the, the alms and the prayers go up to heaven as if a sacrifice, and God accepts them. So this meeting between Peter and Cornelius must have brought the audience listening to this in first century uh, churches and Jewish Christian followers, Christian Jewish, Jewish Christian followers, it must have brought them to the edge of their seats. Peter, a leader of a movement whose founder was executed on a Roman cross, is meeting with a Roman commander of that occupying force. The tension could not be more palpable. 
And the point here, by the way, is not that Romans are good and we should bow to our overlords. Rather, the point is that this is remarkable because it is so unexpected. Peter's statement in verse 38 um, is best rendered something like, I'm finally beginning to grasp what the heck is going on here. The vision that Peter had in Joppa was not about food, which we skipped over, uh, but God lowers this food on a sheet. Um, They never talk about anything overturning kosher laws. They never come back to the food. Rather, God, the vision is about God being able to declare anyone acceptable, as we learn, who is doing righteousness. Doing righteousness in this passage, doing justice, doing good. Peter is the one who is, in this situation, for lack of a better term, converted, learning what is really going on. But what is even more remarkable is the message that Peter tells to this Roman military commander here is the message uh, for Christ the King Sunday. Here is the the message for Christ the King Sunday, or Tuesday, as we have it today. This God who has heard your prayers... Cornelius, has sent a Messiah, a king, Jesus, not Caesar, declaring God's peace, and not the Pax Romana, but the Pax Christi. And this one is Lord of all, which is a title that was, of course, used for Caesar. This one has conquered the Roman cross and sits victorious at the right hand of God. Peter tells a story here then, and this is just kind of the the foundation. Peter tells a story here that unmasks and undoes the ordering narratives of the dominating world. They're John Wayne stories, as you might call it. In 1962, shifting here, James Baldwin wrote a letter to his nephew in which he tried to offer insight on how to exist as a black man within a country that perpetuates such horrific racism while seemingly being so blind to it, ignorant to it. In this letter, Baldwin refers to these, his quote, countrymen, as the innocent. This so-called innocence is characterized by an ignorance that clouds their eyes from seeing the realities of the systemic racism in which they participate. But for Baldwin, this innocence is not an excuse. It is not a pass. It is itself a crime. Perhaps this is why Peter must go to Cornelius Because even though he is a good God-fearing man who works justice, as many who are um, innocent would say, he still lives in this innocence. Cornelius is still shaped, perhaps, by the stories of Roman peace and Roman justice. Is it enough to simply do good and fear God? Cornelius, however, wishes to understand And he is open to hearing more, to moving past his innocence. And Baldwin's fellow countrymen, however, continue to live in their denial. They run from understanding. And so Baldwin offers this advice to his nephew. This is just one quote from this essay. 
The really terrible thing, old buddy, is that you must accept them, and I mean that very seriously. You must accept them and accept them with love, for these innocent people have no other hope. They are, in effect, still trapped in a history, a story, a John Wayne story, that they do not understand. And until they understand it, they cannot be released from it. What Baldwin describes here, however, is not just a passive acceptance, a loving acceptance. Uh, Instead, he insists, must be accompanied by a loving confrontation. He writes, We with love shall force our brothers and sisters to see themselves as they are, to cease fleeing from reality and begin to change it. We shall make it plain as day. We shall unmask the false gods that justify this oppression. I stop, by the way, I stop quoting James Baldwin at we shall make it plain as day. So I can make that me as plain as day. Um, we shall unmask the false gods that justify this oppression in our world and in ourselves. And this is a resurrection story as well. It is a new story, a different story, and it's a different story that Peter tells wherever you may find yourself on it and in relation to it. We must love enough, Baldwin would say, I think, to confront and love enough to be open to that confrontation when it is directed at us, wherever we might stand that we may unmask our stories, our racist narratives that structure our world, um, the ins and the outs, the dark side and the light side. Peter's story is not simply a story about life after death. Um, It is not simply about going to heaven. It is not simply about having his sins washed away and some spiritual forgiveness. It is a story that confronts Cornelius's supposed innocence and that alters his foundations in the narrative that structures his world. And we don't know what happens to Cornelius after this. Does he remain a centurion? The early church would have imagined that being difficult. But in Cornelius' world, Cornelius's world, there was no doubt who was Lord of all, be you Roman or subject to Rome. Who was Lord of all? This is an appellation, an appellation you give to Caesar. This was clear on coins, on temples, on monuments, um, on proclamations that were carved in bronze around cities throughout the empire. But Peter declares a different story, a different reality, and it is not Caesar who is Lord, but Jesus. And this shakes the foundations. It shakes the foundations of every dominating story that we can imagine. Jesus' crucifixion itself unmasks the quote-unquote innocence of Roman justice as injustice, and the resurrection shows the true order that governs the world, that leads us on to act as if a different world exists. And so the John Wayne story that orders his world has been turned on its head. His Confederate monuments have been torn down, Uh, to use a not very contemporary, but mildly contemporary example. Yet not to invert this violence back towards others, Jesus does not come with force of arms, exploitation, colonization, occupation, market manipulation, or militarization. 
His authority is in truth, in justness, in peace, in good news for the poor, and in, in the indomitable life that overcomes death. He encounters death and is victorious over it in life. Jesus is resurrected not to bring more death, righteous violence, retribution, or vengeance, but in a further flip of the script, he comes declaring forgiveness, whatever the difficult reality of that entails. His authority does not depend on violent overthrow. It is simply popping up like an errantly thrown mustard seed. To declare that Christ is king is to deconstruct the oppressive powers of the world, the systems of injustice on this Christ the King Tuesday. And it is to live in refusal of them and of those stories, to live in refusal to the forces of death and their power and their animating stories, to live instead in a kingdom of belonging, of solidarity and justness, and the love that is God by God's Spirit. And today, we're going to celebrate communion together, and we do so holding firmly to the vision of Isaiah minus the um, Moabs, Moabites in the dung heap, where all people united stream to the mountain of God to feast on rich wine and choice foods, where death no longer reigns and God herself wipes away our tears. And Jesus tells us in Nazareth at the beginning of his ministry that the time for this kingdom is today. This actually was a theme in the, in the hymn that we read. It is not for the future, it is today. Today we begin the march singing songs of life here. And today we triumph unmasking the powers of death. We can imagine a world where the borders today that hold us apart that segregate wealth, that determine between the worthy and those who are expendable, no longer exist. So before we begin Advent, Advent begins on Sunday, right? We haven't started it yet. Okay, good. Before we begin Advent, let me say one more time. He is risen. Oh, good. I wasn't. This is good. I like this. We are those who are graced to journey with the risen Jesus towards this mountain, to follow in the way of peace, a people of peace for the world, confrontational peace, hopeful peace. May we go forth together in the hope of life, where we all belong to one another, eat at one another's tables, and live in the forgiveness of God, who leads us in the good news of life everlasting. Amen. As we continue to marinate in all that we have heard, um, I invite you to keep your ears and your hearts open as we turn to our next song, number 460. Uh, Laura's going to play it, um, uh, play through the melody once, and then I will invite you to stand and, and we'll sing together.
you to join me in professing our faith together using these words which come down to us from Menno Simmons himself. True evangelical faith cannot lie dormant, but spreads itself out in all kinds of righteousness and fruits of love. It dies to flesh and blood. It destroys all forbidden lusts and desires. It seeks, serves, and fears God in its inmost soul. It clothes the naked. It feeds the hungry. It comforts the sorrowful. It shelters the destitute. It aids and consoles the sad. It does good to those who harm it. It serves those who harm it. It prays for those who persecute it. It teaches, admonishes, and judges with the word of God. It seeks those who are lost. It binds up what is wounded. It heals the sick. It saves what is strong. It becomes all things to all people. The persecution, suffering, and anguish that come to it for the sake of the truth of Christ have become a glorious joy and comfort to it. You can have a seat, friends. Some dinner instructions before we begin our feast. Uh, we'll begin with a prayer of confession, uh, not that we need to be raked over the coals, but to begin here and now consciously questioning those narratives that have uh, 
kept us apart and kept us opposed. Uh, we'll then share in a, uh, a great Thanksgiving prayer. This might be a little different than ones we're used to. I've uh, moved some things around to make it more um, participatory, and so um, I'll lead the, the plain print as we've been doing, and we'll read the book, we'll pray the bowl together. Um, after that, I'll invite those who are assisting you to come forward. We'll um, first um, serve Laura, and then as you feel led, uh, come through the center aisle. You'll receive a piece of bread. You'll be invited to dip it into a cup and to consume the elements there, and then you can prayerfully return to your seat by the outside aisle. Um, uh, Gluten-free bread is available. Just uh, make your need known uh, so that all can share in this feast as one. So let us begin with our prayer of confession. Let us confess our sin in the presence of God and one another. Most merciful God, we confess that we are captive to sin and cannot free ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. God, who is rich in mercy, loved us even when we were dead in sin and made us alive in, together with Christ. By, the great, by grace, we have been saved in the name of Jesus Christ. Our sins are forgiven. Almighty God, strengthen us with, your, with power through the Holy Spirit, that Christ may live in our hearts through faith. Amen. Friends, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is a good, a right, and a joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, eternal God, maker of heaven and earth. Your own hands have made us. Your own breath has given us life. Your own voice has called us together, called us to you, and called us to a new life as siblings, friends, and members of your family and kingdom. And so with all who pray on earth and all who sing in heaven, we join the angels unending him. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of God. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed are you, and blessed is your son, Jesus Christ. He came to us as one of our own and called us back together as one. Rich and poor, Jew, Samaritan, and Gentile, male and female. He fed the hungry. He healed the sick. He sought the outcast and ate with sinners, calling us all back to your table and making us one family through a covenant by water and the Spirit. On the night he gave himself up for us, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body given for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was finished, he took a cup, gave thanks to you, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink of this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, given for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves here and now as a living and holy sacrifice in union with Christ offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on those gathered here and on these gifts of bread and cup. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world, until Christ comes in final victory, and we feast together at your heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, eternal God, now and forever. Amen.
final song together before we go our separate ways can be found either on page 740 in Voices Together or on the walls around you. It is too short of him for how wonderful it is, and so we're going to sing it through twice. I invite you to stand in body or spirit, and let's join together. yourselves to receive the benediction. Come today, hear that Christ is King, and know what that means for the powers of death. May we go forth together to the banquet of God, meeting scarcity with God's abundance, meeting hate with God's love, meeting death with resurrection life, by the power of God's Spirit and in the footsteps of Christ, the Messiah. Go in peace. <laughs>